Good morning. Our scripture reading today is coming from Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, and Acts chapter 4, 32 to 37. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day, day those who were being saved. And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own. But all things were common property to them. And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And abundant grace was upon them all, for there was not a needy person among them. For all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet. And they would be distributed to each as any had need. Now Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth, who was also called Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means son of encouragement, and who owned a tract of land, sold it, and brought, it, brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. This is the word of God. Thank you, David. If you're not there, go ahead and open your Bibles, if you have one, or swipe to it, to uh, Acts chapter 2. That's where we will be beginning today, Acts chapter 2. right there all right and we are in a series uh, our August series is um, part of what we are calling practicing the witness and the way of Jesus sometimes uh, each month we have a different practice um, and sometimes it's just a one message shot to talk about you know meditating on scripture or fasting or Sabbath or something like that uh, but this one we felt like would be good to to camp in uh, beginning of the fall, it's a great time to reorient, and particularly today, I hope that my prayer has been, my desire would be that God would do a reorienting work, or I brought this up here, um, you can go ahead and put the next slide up, I think my job today is this, now, it's actually to stoke the fire, not to poke you, um, I will keep it up here, away from any who would like to do harm, <laughs> this is a fire poker, but I believe that God's word, in one sense, um, should always be, we should always be receptive to and seeking him to stoke what he's put in us as his sons and daughters, as part of his church family that he bought with the price of his blood, as we sang about. Um, and then he lit the flame. We sang that in King of Kings, that not only did Jesus die and he rose, but he said, I'm going to give my spirit. And the church was born when the spirit came. The Holy Spirit, he had promised, I'm going to go away and I'll come back, but I will give you the comforter. I will give you the one who will remind you of everything I taught you, but he'll also indwell you and empower you to live the life that I've called you to live together as my church. That Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. That picture there is the church is on offense. Gates are for defense. Jesus says, I'm going to build my church. But the way he plans to build it is often um, not exactly the way we go about it a lot. We get a little bit sidetracked. We get a little bit obsessed with certain things. But particularly today, I want us to focus on this. If he lit the flame, if you will, when, when the Spirit came and the church was born, our job, all of our job, it's not my job, it's all of our job, is to poke to stoke the fires that he put in us. And particularly, we saw, as David read, um, we saw the effects, the kindling effects of community. 
Now, we've said this um, from the get-go. If you haven't been with us, though, I want to say this. We're all made to be part of community. It's part of being made in the image of God, to be relational, to share life with others. Community is not just a church thing. Um, you know, you can, it can be seen and forged in lots of different varieties. You have the, the break room uh, community with coworkers that sometimes becomes um, a com- community of complaint about the man. Some of you have been part of Some of you might be president of your local chapter. I don't know. The break room. Um, that's informal, right? Nobody says, hey, this is my break room community. Um, we also have the locker room. Uh, you know, I've mentioned this before. I think players are glad. High school football starts next week. They're super glad to not be practicing as long in 108, 110 degree weather. But when they get old and can't walk, the thing that they're going to remember and cherish is actually not the trophies on the shelf, if they got them or didn't, it will be the locker room. It will be um, the, the fellow, their, their teammates that they, they, they were grinding with and that they competed with and that they suffered with and all of that. You also have, uh, some of you are part of that like 5 a.m. club, Camp Gladiator, boot camps. I mean, there's just more and more of these everywhere. Um, some of you, you know, you go and you, you're, you're there with a single-minded purpose. You're united around, let's find a really dark parking lot at 5 a.m. and do excruciating things together and call it, this is fun. But it does cause you to get shredded, so that's a good thing. So there's community beyond church, but um, in those communities as well as the church have at least three common characteristics. Anthropologists, sociologists would say this beyond the church, that every community has a common purpose, a common place, and common possessions. So parking lot is commonplace. You know, maybe we share mats to not ruin our knees when we're doing exercises. And the common purpose is we want to get fit. That'd be a boot camp or camp gladiator. But for the church, we've seen, and he read it, that they were of one heart and mind. It's a couple different times Luke has highlighted for us as he calls us to embed ourselves in this community. What, what marked them? What was the signature, you know, about them? And what was it that was caused them to be such a compelling community? Well, we've seen that they had some devoted rhythms and activities they did. And in verse 42, you can throw the next slide up there. It says they were continually devoting themselves. Literally, it means to be strong toward. It means to persist in. It means to take pains to get it, make sure it happens. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching to the fellowship, which is what we're going to focus on today, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. But those were activities, those were rhythms, I like better, that they did together. There was a single-mindedness about, we have a purpose. We are now, don't get lost in this, we're now the new covenant community of the Spirit. That's who we are as the church. We are a family, but we're God's family, and He wants us, and He's sending us out to, to invite others to be part of it and to know the grace and the mercy of God and to find a place to belong. And so Luke highlights that that is what they were about. They were continually devoting themselves, had a rhythm, devoting themselves to fellowship or the fellowship. Um, give you a little bit of Greek here. We don't do this a lot, but uh, some of you know this. Some of you came from churches where there was a Sunday school class called the Koinonia class. Koinonia is the word there for fellowship. It simply means to share in common. So if you're on Jeopardy, and it's the $600 question, what is Koinonia, right? Koinonia, everybody say it real quick. There you go. Now, forget that, except for the concept is to share in common. And particularly, uh, they even had coins that were you know, from this word, and it, it also mean, can mean fellowship, it can mean friendship, it can mean partnership, and there are different ways, and if you add different prefixes or roots, it's all about a shared sense of purpose, relationship, uh, and, and, and partnership in something beyond just yourself. So that's what they were continually devoting themselves to, is this fellowship. Now go back to the image of the fire for me real quick. What I want us to 
look at first because I'm convinced that we all want this. Now, not right now. It's 108. I understand. But when it uh, drips, when it dips, and we borrow our weather from Chicago, because you know in Dallas, we actually don't have our own weather. We just borrow. And depending on the day, right, it'll be 108, and then it'll drop to 40 and whatever. But this is inviting. This, this is drawing. Uh, uh, fire brings light. It brings heat. It particularly brings warmth. We all want that. We are all drawn to that. It just draws us because it captivates us of flickering flame. Now, I can't um, speak for the ladies in here, but I do know there's something within how God made us as males, as men, as boys. There's something about a flickering flame, and if we can expand that flame, you know, broaden that flame, make it bigger, whatever, we are all about it. I have made fire, right? But if you think about the church, and if God calls us to go and make disciples, I want you to have this image in your mind that this is a pretty good image of how he envisions it. We get caught up in methods and, well, I got to get all my content down. I got to be able to convince everybody and all this. This is the most compelling signature move, if you will, of Jesus as he says, I will build my church. And that is one of light and heat and warmth. And as we'll look at again, that you guys fellowship, I wouldn't expect Jew and Gentile to be together. I wouldn't expect someone, as he read, of Cyprian birth, you know, and Ethiopian birth and Galilean heritage to be together. And yet, wow, you don't just like tolerate each other in the meetings. Like you're in each other's lives. And there's something of light and heat and warmth. And we all want to be a part of some place like that. Again, we've mentioned this. We all want to be in a place where we are known and that we know that we matter. So with that image, what I want to say is we all want that. We're drawn to it. We want to get up next to it. We want to feel its warmth. Um, We want the light, the heat, and the warmth and the draw of the fire. And yet, we trip ourselves up because we want those things without the hassle, the inconvenience, the rub of having to be stacked together. We want the warmth and the heat and the light without the stoking that is necessary for the fire, for it to get oxygen, for it to get all the elements it needs to continue to burn. One other thing we trip ourselves up, particularly in our day more and more, is that this is beautiful because there are at least three or four logs in there. Most of us tend to do the Lone Ranger life. And if you light one log... It'll take a while. It'll be difficult to get that one log going if you don't have any little kindling. Um, and also, it's, it's much quicker to burn out because it doesn't have anything else kind of helping that thing grow. And so there's a lesson in that as well. When we think, well, my Christian life is about my personal relationship with Jesus and how I can just get what I need content out there, we think, so that I can just kind of do this self-improvement plan to grow in my relationship with God. And God would say, you want to grow, it will never happen outside the context of community that's like this. It will never happen solo. Oh, sure, we, we will have in December silence and solitude. We've already talked about um, prayer and meditation. Absolutely, get in your closet to pray. But also, we'll talk about next week, we got to be devoted to praying with one another and for one another. So, we want that, don't we? We want that in our life. We, want, we don't want to go to a church, not really, where we can come and go and nobody notices, where we can come and go and we're not known, or where I can come and I don't have to tell you the skeletons in my closet, which feel safe in the moment, but then I'm, I'm atrophying inside because nobody knows me. And God says, that's why I gave you my church, and this is why I want it to look this way. But the question is, if those are the effects, and we're going to look at the effects in just a second, the challenge for us will be, and the opportunity for us will be, how do I contribute? How do I help kindle koinonia? Or as we're talking about, cultivate community, and this is a big 
part of it. So look, we're going to do this in two ways. We're going to look at fellowship back in the day. We're going to look at the biblical record that David already read uh, a little bit there. We're also going to look at the cultural context in which the church was birthed, which is much different than ours. Uh, and we'll even hear some perspectives of the early church from outsiders, some ancient, ancient people. But interestingly, how they observed the church, both from the inside and what they did and these rhythms and their togetherness, as well as from an outsider who actually commends us and he's flabbergasted by us. And he's like, why can't we get our act together? And so we're going to look at fellowship back in the day when the church was family. And then we're going to look at how do we kindle fellowship in our day-to-day, in the day and time and culture in which you and I don't even realize how much we are influenced by it. All right, so let's do that. Uh, Biblical record. Let's look first at the fire. Uh, I I put it in orange, um, places where there's that, we're not just seeing activity, but there's a sense of place. There's a sense of fellowship. There's a glow, a fire that seems to be evident, and it's drawing, okay? Um, In Acts, go to the next slide. In Acts 2, um, 42, we already talked about their devoted fellowship. The very next verse, everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. We will touch on this next week. This is definitely depleted in our day, uh, and I won't say any more. I'll say come back next week, and we're going to talk about um, that we were made for awe, and yet how little how little we experience awe in our day, perhaps because of how we live. Um, but man, a sense of awe and many wonders and signs. It was a wonderful place. It was a, uh, a puzzling place. It was a drawing place. It was a fire. And the very, very next slide, and though all those who believed were together, there's a togetherness, and they had all things in common. What is koinonia? What is fellowship? It's to share in common, to share possessions. And so, I, sorry, I put in green here things that they did something about. So there was a sharing and a, a, a common sharing of things, and there was a togetherness, and they began selling their property and possessions, and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Next slide. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. I want to pause here for a moment. Again, uh, there was a gladness. There's a sincerity of heart. I'm not going to camp on this too much, but I want want you to hear this. There was an open-heartedness that they fostered, that they cultivated, that they kindled. An open-heartedness. Why do I tell you that? Well, says they were, we already talked about, they were continuing in one mind in the temple, more often perhaps to share Christ with their fellow Jews who hadn't come to know him. They weren't there as as much to worship and offer sacrifices, but they're like, where are my friends who don't know Jesus, haven't trusted Jesus, haven't, the bells haven't, you know, rung for them yet, the lights haven't come on. They're there to evangelize, but then they're also having people in their homes, both as fellow believers sharing meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. There's not one of us who wouldn't want a very regular rhythm of I'm invited to someone else's table or I invite you to my table and we laugh and we linger and we cry and we're there long enough where I'm just like, hey, yeah, I mean, you didn't, I haven't really told you this, but here's an area I'm struggling with. That doesn't happen every meal. But they were having this gladness. That's the fire that we want. But part of that fire comes from, they were sharing these meals with gladness and sincerity of heart. The phrase sincerity of heart, I think some of you have something different there. Um, What I want to tell you is, here's the idea. It literally means without rock. Without rock. Um, My family, uh, we sold it now, but... My great-grandfather, my grandfather had some property on the Tennessee River at Pickwick Lake. And my grandfather, instead of building by the lake, I'm not sure why, he built it like he built his about half a mile up the gravel road at the top of a hill. So if we wanted to go to the lake, we stayed there, and then we had to walk way down. But I remember each, each spring when it got warm enough to start going to the lake, 
we'd, we'd inevitably have to figure out what happened to the gravel roads since we last were here. And inevitably, there would have been rain and snow and other things that would have caused a gully, a washout, some, some boulders from elsewhere. And we would have to get out, and we'd have to remove the rock, even though we had a Jeep, remove the rock to get up the hill. Why do I say that? That's really the picture here when he says, without rock, with sincerity. What you see is what you get, or a genuineness. I'm genuinely with you. I'm not with you, but vacated or annoyed by you and wish I could be elsewhere. I mean, that doesn't mean it wasn't a temptation. But whenever that occurred, or if there were conflicts, which would put a rock between the, the ro- in the road between my heart and yours, then they did the hard work. They did the, the together uh, conducive work of moving the rock so the heart between uh, the road between my heart and yours would be smooth would be a way in which we could know each other be reconciled if we had conflict and just deepen in our love for one another and our understanding of one another so this community that was life transforming that was ablaze and we already saw the effects part of those effects came as they kindled this kind of fellowship we're going to do meals regularly together. And man, we are just having, a, we're just thrilled to get to know each other. There's a gladness. And that's fostered by the being together. Um, and then also, we've got to remove, you know, we've got to be diligent. Paul says it, be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. As he says in Ephesians 4, 3. In other words, real life is, and we say this around here all the time, conflict it's not when, uh, if it'll happen, it's when it happens, how do we respond? And when there's a rock between you and me in that road between our hearts, we should deal with it. And they did. They were open-hearted. And that genuineness also then spilled into a generosity. And so the next slide. In the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul. There's that unity again. And not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own. But all things were common property to them. And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and abundant grace was upon them all. One heart and soul, great power. There was oomph to their fellowship. There was oomph to their witness with the non-believing, their non-believing neighbors, and abundant grace was upon them all. It's like, man, there's just something vibrant and radiant and Christ-like and rich here. That's the fire. That's the flame. That's what the warmth and the light and the heat, that's what God designed the church to be, is a a koinonia, a sharing in common, but it's one that's kindled. It's not automatic that there's a fire in the fireplace. It's not automatic that you have those effects. And again, we like the effects We're not so sure we want to put in the time, put in the effort, have the patience to invest ourselves, to cultivate or to kindle that kind of fire. And yet, we are drawn to it. And our opportunity, our invitation is those effects can come if we're willing to kindle the community that God calls us to kindle. Um, Now, I want to, I try to do this. I was even meeting with Avinash this week. Some of you know him. Um, and, and uh, he shared something. I was like, yes, that's how I try to approach things too. Whenever I'm up here talking, I, I always want to have in my mind, I want you to go, well, I can see that. Why do, why do I even need Buddy up there, right? I mean, you may not have known the, known the word koinonia, but again, that's, you can throw that out if you want. But what I want to show you right now is something that all of us can see. We want those effects We want that sense of warmth and heat and vibrancy and radiance. We want to be a part of that. We want that to be here, and we want it to be growing. I want you to see that Luke tells us why and or how that fire got stoked. The very next verse, verse 34. Look at my slide here. I underlined it. This is so brilliant. There's the three-letter word, for. Whenever the word for comes up, we say he's explaining, he's giving the reason, the cause. He's giving the what stoked the fire we saw, this great power. He says the apostles' witness was filled with great power, and there was abundant grace upon them all. 
within the community. For they were, there was not a needy person among them. For how was there not a needy among, person among them? For all who were owners of land and houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet, and they would be distributed to each as any had need. And so they're not just open-hearted, they're open-handed. The next slide. They, they were kindling fellowship back in the day, open-heartedly, open-handedly. They were sharing their hearts and sharing their stuff. Now, that ain't hard to understand, is it? And so for me, it's, poke me, am I? How open-handed am I with what God has given me? That's not just your stuff, but it's for sure legitimately a concrete expression that's happening again and again and again. Part of what contextually brought those needs were many of these people, remember, were here for Pentecost. They didn't live there. And so your, your brothers from Galilee and wherever else they came, even God-fearers, maybe not Jews, but all, they, they had already come. Then the Spirit came, and they're like, wow. And then they were pierced to the heart, and they became believers. And now there's 3,120 of them at least, and it keeps adding day by day by day. And they're like, what is going on? But by the way, um, I don't live here. <laughs> they're, they're simple needs. Um, and, and they shared as there was a need. Now, because of where we live, um, I have to say this. I have to ask this question. I have to answer this. Is this communism? Is this communism? They, they were all selling and buying and, I mean, and, sorry, and, and bringing and sharing, and everyone's needs were met. Is this communism? No. Because this doesn't abolish private property. There was not a mandated forfeiture nor a mandated redistribution of wealth. It was voluntary. Private ownership was linked with community use. I, I saw this last night. Uh, Caleb back there, uh, there was a wedding we were at. Um, he was emceeing, by the way, did a fantastic job. But I also noticed the kind of between the ceremony and the reception, I said, hey, I, I, think I, I think I saw your Sequoia and your van out there. If you don't know, Caleb is a bus driver, so he loves vehicles and he loves hauling you anywhere. So just sign up later for the ride service. <laughs> but I think you had three vehicles there last night, okay? He had three vehicles there. Now, someone's like, no, he doesn't need three vehicles and we could, we could that's not our business especially the way he's open-handed with them. Yeah, he's like, yeah, this one guy was bringing ice, I think, and he needed my Sequoia to fit it in. It's an old Sequoia, by the way, if you're getting obsessed about how many cars he has. Uh, and then the other one was that he has a bus, a, a van, large van, and somebody needed that. And then the Tundra, I don't know if that's yours or Jacob Yeah. You know, anyway, that's an example of sharing stuff because there was a need. I've got this. I'm, I've got a way to get there. Here you go. So that's the same thing there. It's not communism. Private ownership is not wrong. But we want to be careful, and we're called not to clutch it as if we're hoarders, as if it's mine, 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 and it's not available to anyone else, particularly within the church. And so this was a regular, ongoing practice. There was a willingness to regard their possessions. It says not one of them claimed that it was their own. That's the issue. It's not the possession of things, but is do my things possess me? And does my sense of the bigger picture of what God's mission is, a shared mission that we have as his family and mutual care that I get to contribute to in this way? And again, this is not just, do you have this X amount of money or this kind of property or car or vehicle? It's, it's just how open-handed am I with whatever I have? Is God's kingdom what directs my stuff and how it gets used? And so hear that. What were the results of stewarding their stuff with open-handedness? It was verse 33, the message could not be contained. And there was power. We read that verse and we go, yeah, that's right, man. Those apostles, they knew their stuff and they were powerful because they had their message down cold. 
I don't think that's what we're seeing. I think what we're seeing is the power came from the Holy Spirit, indwelling them, convicting them, giving them words. But the Holy Spirit, as they were united in purpose and through mutual care, he was stoking the flame. And so what it did was it wasn't just a message. It was a message authenticated not by what we would call a miracle, but by mutual care. There was a credibility that was accompanying going before the message, backing it up afterward. And it's a powerful, powerful thing. And so this is how they were. These are the effects, and that's how they were kindling it, sharing their hearts and sharing their stuff. Uh, Next slide. Uh, They were part of a culture, and I don't have much time to go into this at all. Our culture is very different than, than the culture back then. Uh, they were part of what sociologists would call a strong group culture. Um, we would have, some of you would go into convulsions to hear how strong group culture was because we don't realize just how steep in a culture we are ourselves. We think of ourselves as, well, I'm a rational person and I'm, a, I'm an independent thinker and man, I can, and their culture, without going into it, I had our staff um, we watched on our staff retreat a couple weeks ago, we watched a video of a man who wrote a book called When Church Was Family. And he explains a lot of this. If you want to read it, uh, his name's Hellerman. Um, I can give you, I found out yesterday, because I hadn't read all the way through the book till yesterday, that, oh, the last chapter summarizes the whole thing, which I needed, because he got weedy. Okay, but he got weedy on purpose because he's trying to explain this culture. And he says, we don't understand. We watched Titanic, you know, and Jack, and Rose, but Rose is from a, uh, you know, family of status, and Jack is this rogue, you know, won his ticket through, through poker game or something to get on Titanic, and they fall in love. And she has the dilemma that we don't understand. Her dilemma is, do I betray my family and what they feel like is right? Because if I marry this guy who's really a jerk, but he's part of another well-established, well-heeled family, and if we do that, then that will bond us even more and our status might be elevated there'll be well-being for our family but what are we doing we're 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 wanting him to go for rose why because you should never dampen your heart to just do what everybody else wants you to do and it and it really violates us that she would even be delimited we think no follow your heart follow your heart well that's how we think But the way they would think, and if someone back then was watching the movie, they would be horrified that she would even entertain that, let her heart get entangled in any way. Why? Because in that culture, the group comes first. Now, is that saying that's all right? No, no. In fact, the Hellerman, I appreciate it. He said, I'm not telling you that that is everything in that culture is good culture and we're all bad culture. He's just saying that's the way it was. And so the church was family because back then the group comes first and the group primarily and first and foremost meant family. Therefore, even today, if you share Christ with somebody from India, from a Hindu background, or even my context a little bit with my Jewish friends, you're asking them to betray their family to trust Christ. Why do I say that? We have difficulty, and that's what we're, we're going to, camp on in a second, we have difficulty because we're a weak group culture. We are what anthropologists um, call, we are shot through with radical individualism. We don't even know it. Watching Titanic, our radical individualism says, uh, how dare you restrain, you know, her heart. Let her go after Jack. And and you could do a thousand little day-by-day things that happen where we don't even realize how much we are individualized, and therefore it's all about me and my preferences and my wants, rather than what's good for the whole. What I want you to know is Jesus' own um, deal was that the church is a family. Next slide. In Mark 3, he's somewhere teaching, and, and uh, his family uh, kind of thinking, man, I think he's off his rocker. They're trying to get to him, and they're like, hey, your family's outside. And here's what Jesus says. Who are my mother and my brothers? Looking about at those who are sitting around him, he said, Behold, my mother and my brothers, not his family trying to get in the door. 
my brother, my mother, and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. So church was family. Jesus says church is family. Those who do the will of my father, we're family. Uh, let me give you a couple insider and outsider perspectives that we're going to move to kind of talking to ourselves for a moment. Uh, an insider perspective, Justin Martyr. I don't believe that was his last name. I think that's what happened to him. Um, but he says, we who once took, and think about uh, share your stuff, share your heart. We who once took most pleasure in the means of increasing our wealth and property, we think, well, yeah, of course you do that. Now bring what we have into a common fund and share with everyone in need. He, we who hated and killed one another would not associate with men of different tribes because of their different customs. Now live together. Next one. Those who have more come to the aid of those who lack. And we are constantly together. Those who prosper and so wish, so voluntarily, contribute each one as much as he chooses to. Now I want you to hear an outsider perspective. This is somebody who was a pagan, I think, of pagan religions. And so he'll actually, I believe he calls Christians atheists in this. He just means he doesn't, they don't believe in our gods. Okay? Um, why do we not observe... So he's an outsider looking at the church and looking at that fire. Why do we not observe that it, that it is there, the Christians' benevolence to strangers, their care for the graves of the dead and the pretended holiness of their lives? So he's like, ah, it's all a sham. Except for he's saying this quote because it's like there's something to it. The pretended holiness of their lives that have done the most to increase atheism or people who don't believe in our gods. When the impious Galileans, because they follow the Galileans, support not only their own poor, but ours as well. All men see that our people lack aid from us. Isn't that wild? An outsider says, man, they love each other, and they, they love our people. And we're being put to shame here. The fire was warm, was, was light, it was inviting, and he noticed it. The next one is another uh, insider, Tertullian. He says, we call ourselves brothers. We are family. That's why Paul over and over again calls us brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters. He almost always says, our Lord Jesus Christ, not my Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? We call ourselves brothers. So we who are united in mind and soul have no hesitation about sharing what we have. Everything is in common among us except our wives. Next slide. The common fund is used, Tertullian informs us, for the support and burial of the poor, for children who are without their parents, means of subsistence, for aged men who are confined to the house, likewise for shipwrecked sailors, and for any in the mines or on islands or in prison. Last slide. The practice of such special love brands us in the eyes of some. Now he's going to say, this is what the outsiders say of us. See, they say, see how they love one another and how ready they are to die for each other. He says, this is what brands us. This is the signature of who we are. See how they love one another. And that love isn't just hallmarky. That love is, yes, I own a truck. I know you're moving. I want to help you. I'll be there Saturday at 7 a.m. See how they love one another. Our love for one another is Jesus' signature. My friend Cole says, our love for one another is Jesus' signature, and he keeps his ink in the church. And he wants to make sure his signature is known. I put my ink in the church, and by that he doesn't mean the building. He means the people loving one another. That's why his new commandment, John 13, 34, Next slide. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I've loved you, that you also love one another. By this, this is my signature, by this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. So that brings us to, well, that was fellowship back in the day. What about kindling fellowship in our day-to-day -day when the church wasn't just, you know, it wasn't just that it was family, but it is family. And... What do we, how do we see that and kindle fellowship in our day? First of all is, how do, we see fam uh, how do we see the church? How do you see yourself as part of 
the church big C, and that will always or should always lead to connectivity in a little c, local expression of that church. Because I will tell you, it's impossible to grow in Christ apart from being a, 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 an interacting part of a local body. You may not like hearing that, but that is just straight Bible. Sorry, I'm, 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 I'm not trying to wield this at anybody. <laughs> but here's what I want to ask. Because we do come from a weak group culture where everything is, you know, all this personalization, and yet we're, um, we're diminishing as persons. We feel more isolated and lonely and not a part of something more than ever. Could it be because of how we view the church? And my question is, do you, do I see church as a commodity or a community, which is the family? A commodity, what is that? Next slide. Here's what a commodity simply is. A commodity is often a mass-produced, unspecialized product that can be seen as valuable or discardable depending on its usefulness to a consumer. In other words, I can take it or leave it depending on what it does for me. My question is, do you see being a part of the church and the church's fellowship and community, do you see it as a commodity or a community of which God intends and calls us to be contributors and not consumers? Because that's just a Webster-type definition of commodity. But that sure looks a lot like how we see and how we uh, interact with the church in our day. We could use a little strong group. We could use a little seeing that God didn't intend the church, his church, to be a commodity. That we take when it meets our, you know, our fancy and we discard when we want. It can't be a place to take and a people to take or leave, depending on what it's doing for me. I'm not here to bash anybody. I'm saying the invitation is to each of us to be to be invited out of radical individualism we didn't even know is so entwined in our hearts. And God says, the reason why I'm trying to call you out of that is because of look what I'm providing you. Look at the glow. Look at the warmth. Look at the light. Look at the heat. Look at the fellowship. The richness. And then out of that, it will radiate so that others who don't know me could come to be drawn to Christ in you. Um, Andy Crouch says this. This is part of our, we're, we trip ourselves. He says, the privacy we cherish is in constant danger of curdling into isolation. Another sociologist uh, that I've read, I don't have a slide for this, but he, he said we've, we've finally achieved the privacy we've always wanted. You know, you can order in food, you can watch church online, you can Amazon everything, and yet maybe now we're not sure it's what we wanted. It's not what you wanted deep down because deep down God made us for a relationship with himself and with one another. And then there's a richness that can only be had when we allow him to poke us to stoke the fires that he's already put in you if you are his son or daughter. Um, mutual, mutual care is required. They shared things. Just the middle part right there, he says, but it's First John, but whoever has the world's good and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him or clutches his stuff, how does the love of God abide in him? He's not saying, oh, you're not a believer. He's just saying, let who God made you to be in your relationship with that family member. And if I've provided you the opportunity, I'm giving you the chance for the richness of joy of sharing. And in that, you meet a need, and then kind of it recoils back to you, and you're like, that, that, was, that was satisfying. I'm so glad that I could be a part of that. I'm so glad I could give you a place to stay for the night or a, a car to use while yours is in the shop, or I could give you a ride somewhere when you don't have one. So mutual care is required of us, and also mutual assembly. Uh, Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 um, I wish I had more time to explain this. This is not to billy club you over the head of show up here and put your rear end in a seat. It's not. It's overused and abused in that way because the much assembly required is let's consider. So it's a considered thing. I'm so thinking about you. I want to, to consider how to, it's, it's really irritation, how to 
stimulate one another to love expressed in good deeds and not forsaking the assembling together as is the habit of some. Is it your habit? This isn't about show up on Sunday in here. Now, some or much assembly is required for that just to be, you don't know what's going on and you don't know what we're missing when you're not here. Because it's not just do I have a material need. I may have an emotional need. I may have a rejoicing to share. I may have a thing that has devastated me and nobody knows. I may not need your words. I may just need your presence and beside me. When you're here on a Sunday morning, we try to have worship that's participatory, where we're thinking, we're singing, we're praying, but it's just as much important right here, maybe with the family member, maybe the people next to you. Much assembly is required, and yet, boy, that grates against our individual American way of viewing things. Um, go to the, the Let's Kindle Koinonia. How do we do it? I just want that little word in 434 to stick in your mind. All those things were happening. The fire was bright and radiant, and the place was warm and drawing and inviting, and people wanted to be a part of it. Four, here's what they were doing. How do we kindle community? That four is share your stuff. But that four is not just go sell everything um, and, and then, you know, give, give it to the church. I mean, they did that so they could also distribute it well. It didn't, the money didn't direct the church, but the leadership under the Holy Spirit's leadership did so. But they also might have been aware of the needs or whatever. But it's not, it's not just that. It's, am I, am I aware of the needs around me? Maybe, you know, friendship needs, emotional needs, things where they could use encouragement. Um, let us consider how to do that. So here's my three things. I think it's to think of ourselves as together as a family and then to say, will we together? But then I hope we, God grows us into, we live in such a way that we'd say together we will share our stuff, share our hearts and grow in Christ because we stay. Hellerman, one of his, he, he, these are not new. These are from Acts, but Hellerman says, what are the four things the early church did? It's they shared their stuff. They shared their hearts. Um, they were also willing to stick around and put up with each other and, and to grow. But, he, but his, his conclusion after he says all this stuff and it's brilliant, and you're like, holy cow. He says, those who stay grow. Those who do not stay do not grow. That's not a we're locking the doors and no one can ever leave this earth. The invitation to you is, you can go practice it somewhere else if you want. But we are not stayers. And it's to your own detriment and my own detriment. When something gets a little bit inconvenient, I go. There's a conflict, I avoid and I go. Guess what doesn't happen? Growth. Conflict is inevitable. It's a matter of how we respond. A lot of our conflicts are due to how we see church and work because we're consumers and this preference isn't being met. And my wife, I didn't, I didn't uh, look at it again. I've seen it before. I think she read an, an article this week about uh, 10 reasons that aren't good reasons to leave a church. And there are many of them are exactly what many of us would say. Well, you know, I didn't like this and I don't, they don't have this and blah, blah, blah. There are reasons to leave, particularly if there's heresy, there's, domineering leadership. I hope you never think that of me. If you do, then please come get right up in my face and you can use this poker. <laughs> but people who stay grow. Um, Abba Anthony, the next slide. He was asked, it's basically a question about maturity. He's a desert father, so he spends a lot of time out there, interestingly, in the desert, but then he comes back to be part of the community. But what one must do, what must one do to please God or to grow in maturity? He said, well, I think I'd throw out these three things. Always be aware of God's presence. Always obey God's word. And wherever you find yourself, do not easily leave. Your marriage is getting threadbare, do not easily leave. Your life group, not everybody is 27, redheaded, left-handed, and has 2.5 children, do not easily leave. 
we are growing increasingly as giver-uppers. I'm just making that up. And it's sad. And we know it. But man, it's just a lot easier if I just zone out and I just distract myself with my phone, my iPad, something else. But those who stay, it's not just physically staying. It's not staying on a membership role. It's stay in a moment. Stay in a relationship. Stay until you resolve a conflict because you're diligently preserving the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And stay where God has located you. Zach Eswine, I won't read it. He wrote a book. I think he's changed the name now to Imperfect Pastor, which fits me, doesn't it? But he's all about, I just could just eat up and drink up him. But we want that fire. We want that sense of glow and awe and life-giving, and we'd love it to affect others, and we'd love to reach others. Stay. Stay. What he would say is, put down roots and root some more. And when it's hard, root some more. And when you get hurt, you reach out. When you are offended, you reach out. But his phrase that I love, develop a rhythm, a long rhythm, in a local place. And that local place is actually a people. I pray that God would give you and me the courage to live that way, to live into, to be kindlers of the fellowship he intends so that the fire is not just for us, so it might glow and draw others to Jesus because his signature is on this place and on us as a people. And I'm pointing the poker at me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, thank you for your grace to us. Your mercies that are new every morning, your mercy that was so demonstrated on the cross, but also your justice that was demonstrated on the cross. And you, Jesus, took our place because we couldn't do enough good stuff to get in relationship with you. But then you made us your own. You bought us with a price. And therefore, we are not our own, but we actually are part of what you are calling us to be and do. We pray that you might give us a togetherness that is enjoyed and acknowledged first that we are family, and then it gets practiced, and we get muscle memory and muscle memory of giving our lives away, of sharing our stuff, of sharing our hearts so that you would be seen and known. And others who come to this place, come to our life groups, come to our youth group, they would know this is a place that can be known and they can know that they matter because they'd be part of kindling that fire of fellowship within your body. We want you to be glorified through us. So we give our lives to you and we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.